we have to deal with the reality of why Jesus had to come as a God man to rescue us from ourselves in the first place before we can get to the place of rejoicing that God is Emmanuel present with us. From Crossroads Media, this is See Here Love, the podcast with Melinda Estabrooks, Season 8, Episode Number 14. The Bible can feel overwhelming, confusing, or hard to believe. Scripture Untangled, a new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society, brings you interviews with culture leaders, leaders in ministry, and Bible thinkers to help you be inspired to dive into the Bible and understand it. Listen for free and subscribe to Scripture Untangled on your preferred podcast app. Visit scriptureuntangled.ca for more information. I'm here in my hometown of Burlington, Ontario, hanging out downtown in our village square. And as I walk these cobblestone streets, I realize that it has taken a village to ensure that See Here Love's mission and vision is shared across Canada, around the world, that you are seen, heard, and deeply loved by God. As a body of Christ, there is hope for us to grow and reconstruct together. We couldn't do this work without you sharing life-changing stories of what Jesus is doing in people's lives, stories of hope, and freedom and healing in areas that matter to me and to you. I want to have the faith to believe that His plan is good even when it's taking that detour that I don't really understand. We have so much more to do and so many more people to reach with the life-changing message of Jesus. For a monthly donation of $25 or more, you can help us do just that. And we'll send you a special thank you gift of our favorite things. Go to seeherelove.com slash give or call 1-800-265-3100 and join our See Here Love Village today. Well, welcome back to another episode, special Christmas episode as part of our series called With Great Expectation, Finding Hope, Peace, Joy, and Love This Advent Season. And in this episode, we'll be journeying through Psalm 37 as we reflect on brokenness and hope and peace in a world longing for justice. I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. So let me introduce you to our very special guest that I've been just waiting to to talk with, Natasha Sistrunk. Robinson. Now, Natasha is president of T3 Leadership Solutions, Inc., and founder and chair of Leadership Links, Incorporated. She's a sought-after international speaker, leadership coach, and consultant with more than 20 years of leadership experience in the military, federal government, academic, and nonprofit sectors. She's a former U.S. Marine Corps officer and federal employee at the Department of Homeland Security, and she's the author of several books, including Journey to Freedom, A Sojourner's Truth, Hope for Us, Knowing God Through the Nicene Creed, Mentor for Life. She hosts a Sojourner's Truth podcast, and she's the editor and author of Voices of Lament, this book right here, Reflections on Brokenness and Hope in a World Longing for Justice. Welcome, Natasha, to See Here, Love. Thank you so much for having me, Melinda. I'm glad to be with you today. Well, before we talk about your latest book, and I've got lots of thoughts and questions for you, and because it's Christmas, Natasha, which I just love... (laughs) I want to ask you two questions Yes, uh, that I've been asking everybody that's part of this uh, the series. But number one, Natasha, your favorite part or moment of the Christmas story mm. and why? Thinking of the whole Christmas story and the narrative, what's your favorite moment within it? I've been reflecting on that this morning, um, even as I was doing my morning devotion. And honestly, I think it changes, you know, from year Mm -hmm. to year, depending on what season you're in. But I've already started kind of my Advent reading. I'm going to read through the Gospel of Luke this season. And um, starting that, I just remember, you know, when the shepherds were coming and how they spoke about the baby that was, um, that is Jesus. And um, in Luke, this is one verse, it says in uh, Luke this is verse 19 out of chapter chapter 2 and um, it says that Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart and it's a small verse but as a mother and as someone who is I think hopeful about the future but also really challenged by the present moment um mm-hmm. And knowing what it's like to have carried a child and lost a child, you know, and carried a child and birthed a child, um, you know, there is great anticipation and there's um, a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, this was no ordinary child. And so um, to have outsiders be brought into something that's very intimate and sacred and special um, mm-hmm. and, and seeing something that as a young girl, you might not even know the significance of it yet. Um, that just, I don't know, that just sat differently with me this time on, on reading it, uh, that she just pondered it and treasured it in her heart. Um, and I think that too, uh, the pondering, the unknowing, the wonder, mm-hmm. the mystery, um, is a blessing and a sacredness and a, and a being fully present and intimate with God. That is beautiful. Yeah. I need to think through that one. I haven't really thought through that. And I think what's really good about that, Natasha, is that in our society, I found and mm-hmm. culture, we don't like the mystery and pondering and not knowing. We want the resolve. Yes. We want the happy ending. We want to know what is going to happen and how it will happen, when it will happen, and that it will end well and good, and that's how it's going to be. So yeah. this, those words, mystery, pondering, <laughs> sitting in that moment, you know, I, I think for a lot of people, it's like, it seems unfamiliar or uncomfortable. Absolutely. You know, and I think from the very beginning, you know, you just go over a few verses and, and they're, you know, Jesus is born. They take Jesus to the temple and the prophetess Anna basically speaks, you know, she's prophesies over his life. Um, and I think, at a, you know, at a very early age, you have all this love and hope and anticipation for a child. But when you really think about it, her heart was grieved from the beginning <laughs> because she knew what was going to be. I don't think she understood the full extent, but she had some idea of um, what this life was going to require of of him. And therefore, uh, what she would have to journey through um, and experience as a mother. And that's just, that's a lot to carry for anybody. But I think certainly for a young girl, um, that, mm-hmm. that, that love that you would have for any child that you birth um, in a healthy relationship, in a loving environment. And then this this grief, this um, anxiety, this fear, even of, oh my God, like what is like literally God? Mm-hmm. What is his life yeah. gonna be like? Yeah. <laughs> you know, gosh, I can't even imagine that. Right? Wow, that's good. Wow, I love that. I'm gonna look that over again too. I, and I think that what you're what you're really saying, I'm, I'm hearing, is I think when we reread the story again to kind of pause on this because sometimes you just sort of read it to get through it right yeah. it's christmas we kind of read it yeah get through it we know the story but moments like this to kind of ponder ourselves on the significance the weight mm-hmm. it's good that's yeah. good they can touch that's great okay second question mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about our anchor quote for our advent series and focusing on peace and it comes from dietrich bonhoeffer mm. this is what he says the celebration of advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I love him, by the way. (laughs) 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 You know, I just recorded uh, that I'm only doing one episode for Advent on my blog, I mean, on my uh, podcast this season. I just recorded it yesterday. And uh, this season, we're talking about grief. The whole season is on grief. So mm-hmm. I, I hashtag it grief and. And so okay. uh, that particular episode, I called it grief and advent. And mm-hmm. what I was saying was, when you think about the liturgical calendar, a lot of times people associate grief with like Lent. Um, and what I said, and I think what this quote is getting at, is that, but advent is also a moment uh, to grieve as well because the reality that the world was so bad <laughs> that there was so much sin that we had you know fallen so far and had really separate separated ourselves from God so much that a perfect sacrifice of God's own son was required is worthy of grief you know, and so mm-hmm. I think what 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 Dietrich is saying is, we have to deal with the reality of why Jesus had to come as a God Man to rescue us from ourselves in the first place, 
before we can get to the place of rejoicing that God is Emmanuel present with us. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. And again, we kind of jump over that to get to Christmas, right? right? Like, yay! Right, right. Glory to God in the highest. Woo! You know right. what I mean? Really. Yeah. You know, like all of our plays, all of that. Right. Yeah. Because again, who wants to sit in the grief yeah. and brokenness? Yeah. Lament mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. during a season that is that is been positioned and postured as this fun, jolly, jolly Christmas. And today it's snowing here in Canada, just so you know. I'm over, oh, I'm wow. looking already, over yes. Falling. So you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's it's that kind of thing. Um, but you're right. I think that part of, in the grief of understanding just the weight of that. And, well, and, and this is the thing, too, like, like reading this morning and thinking about what you're saying, and, and I think it's going to help us even as we go and talk about mm-hmm. Voices of Lament. You know, what the prophet Isaiah said about Jesus. So I was looking at this again this morning in verse uh, chapter 9, verses 6 through uh, 7 there. And he says, for unto us a child is born. We love these scriptures, but, but really think about the words. Unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And watch the systemic injustice. Mm-hmm. The government will be on his shoulders. So that means Oof. there's things wrong in the government that Jesus this child is going to make right the government will be on his shoulders he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end and this is the acts of justice again he will reign on david's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness mm. from that time on and forever the zeal of the lord almighty will will accomplish this and so you know when i hear that prophetic word from the prophet isaiah you know I, i'm reminded it's very clear to me like jesus did come for our personal salvation and not exclusively for our perfect uh, our personal salvation yes. Yes. like jesus came to make all things that are wrong right in the world he he's he's it's a new order (laughs) it's a new Mm -hmm. order um in which jesus is king and and he's going to establish his throne of righteousness and justice justice right which tells us Mm -hmm. that there's systemic issues in our world not just individual personal sins which are part of it um and informs our systems right our individual Mm -hmm. personal sins informs our systems but jesus is going to address those as well and so um i think so much of how we talk about salvation in the west is absent of the understanding that that jesus cares about your personal salvation and your personal piety and Jesus cares about all of the injustice and brokenness in the world. Indeed, all of creation groans, the Bible mm-hmm. tells us, right? Um, again, as a result of our abuse and our sin. And so Jesus cares about all of it. And when Jesus came to us in human form, um, it was to start the whole process or continue, I would say, the whole process of the perfecting what God intended from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's good news. And that, my sister, <laughs> is the gospel. And gospel. it is good news. Good news. Yes. <laughs> good news. Yes, yes. Amazing. There it is. All right. Well, that was enough. Thank you for joining me, Natasha. Sure. <laughs> <You're awesome. laughs> Listen, um, in that, let's just segue in. So yeah. I read through your book. You edited, author in it. Voices of Lament. What a powerful book. And you know what? It's my heart, Natasha, because bringing women together, I mean, yeah. that's what the show See Here Love has been. It's, it's always been, you know, everybody said, Melinda, this is a great opportunity for you when I started, you know, for you to kind of build your brand, be that next. And it was really clear to me that God was like, you know, actually, I'm, I'm entrusting you with this platform, Melinda, so that you will then bring women mm-hmm. in all diversity and and stages ages thoughts together so they can share their story and their thoughts like it never was mine it was never mm-hmm. and so when i look at this book it's that same thing of 
this collaboration of voices yeah. um, in different styles, which is amazing, yeah. and yeah. poems and stories and essays and teachings. It, it, it's and so I'm like it, it resonated so deeply with me because this is this is my heart of hearing all the voices of women collectively together and the power of that. Um, it was amazing. So love it, love it, love it. But 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 why this book now? I know that this was written through pandemic like I think mm-hmm. it started it was through it so there was some threads of context within that and mentioning that but but how did this come about and and why now for this book voices of lament yeah um that's a common question and mm-hmm. I just the, the 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 seed of it really just came out of my own personal like my bible reading time um mm-hmm. I try to read through large passages of the Bible, um, you know, throughout the year. And so, um, at that particular time I was reading through the book of Jeremiah and, you know, Mm -hmm. Jeremiah is kind of hard reading. So I was like marrying that with Psalms. And so, (laughs) I mean, really, and so, um, you know, landed on Jeremiah chapter nine and it, you know, God tells the prophet to call for the wailing women Mm -hmm. to wail all over them. And so they're talking about, um, God's, people going into exile because of their uh, covenant infidelity and their sin and so because of that the women are to 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 wail and um and he's telling them you know he's telling the prophet specifically why they're wailing they're wailing because the men have been taken out of the public square the children have been taken out of the streets and death has climbed in through their windows and Mm. so I, i don't know a better metaphor when i think about that latter statement of death being a thief right the bible talks about death as an enemy to us and so there's going to be a lot of death and consequences because the bible is also very clear that the wages of sin is death and and when we have so much darkness and destruction and death and things are not as they should be as in children are not playing in the streets because it's not safe you know, men are mm-hmm. not in a public square because, you know, they, they're enslaved or they're in jail or, you know, mm-hmm. um, they don't, for whatever reason, they're, they, they, they're not in at work in the marketplace. And so, uh, you know, I thought about all that. And so, of course, I, as a black woman in, uh, in the United States, I see all of the ways that um, the children in my community have been assaulted um, violently the men in our community um, this was right around the time of the global uprising because of um, another police brutality um, that led to the murder of George Floyd so all these things were happening at the same time of the pandemic you know losing thousands of lives across the world a day Um, and so I think we were I had already crossed the million mark by the time that we had started um, writing so that death it was a a thief to us it was very close you know we had people in the writing community that were losing family members to Mm -hmm. COVID but some of them were dying for other reasons as well and so um you know I was I was reading all that and this idea that these women were called who were most Mm -hmm. likely professional mourners and they were called to lead the community. The, the, the passages go on to say to teach your daughters how to wail. Teach us a lament. So like the women were leading in their mm-hmm. wailing. And the Bible, God, the prophet doesn't speak to that as being emotional or insignificant. It's like this is very intentional. Like these are the people you call because they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're going to be the people to teach us because they know what they're doing. And so I, I, I was wrestling with that at a time when I'm seeing a church struggling for relevance at the pandemic because they didn't know what they were doing, right? Because this is something that we had never done before. And, you know, I remember someone asking me, it's kind of like what you said about your ministry and your platform and your call. I was like, Natasha, what are you going to do? Somebody who didn't know me well. I said, I'm going to keep doing what I've always been doing. I'm discipling people. I'm teaching. I'm writing. You know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the work that God has called me to do. Like, that doesn't change because I've been on mission before this crisis came. And I think a lot of churches, um, we were doing church, 
but we had lost <laughs> sight of mission. And the primary yeah. mission we have is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so I'm like, if you were doing that, then you will find ways to continue to do that. But I don't think that was necessarily posturing of a lot of our churches. And that was a, mm-hmm. a source of lament for me. Um, and mm-hmm. and what I saw happening with the children, we had children out of school. We had children who were not eating. We had children who weren't getting educated. We had children struggling with mental health. Like all of those things were kind of grieving my heart. Um, and at the same time, I'm reading through Psalms. And so I land on Psalm 37 and it mm-hmm. talks clearly going back to the systemic injustice about how God deals with the wicked and how God deals with the righteous. And so, you know, in our country, we also had political unrest. We had a lot of narratives being told about people of color in particular um, that were not true. And and that has caused a, a great source of division in our country. And, mm-hmm. and again, for me as a black woman from the South, that's not new to me, but it was, um, I think, new to this younger generation at a level that they had not personally experienced before. And I think um, the, the way that it was done so publicly, so it wasn't like the elephant in the room that no one was talking about. I mean, it was like blatant racism and, and violence um, and that was happening not just to black people we started seeing it happening to people um, in the Asian American community like mm-hmm. the way that they, they name you know it was like the Chinese virus and we saw an yeah. increase in violence all, all across our country to elderly who were in the Asian American community and women mm-hmm. and sometimes children um, and so we were grieving about all these things and so you know all that to say we were not lost for material to write about. <laughs> there were a lot right. of things that called no, us to wake up. There was no issues about content. <laughs> right, we were not lost. <laughs> we had lots of content. We had lots of content. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, through the pandemic, I did a podcast with a number of Asian women and men as we saw the rise of Asian hate. Yep. And it's interesting because of particular people saying it was a, you know, Chinese virus and and then people looking at like I'm Filipino mm-hmm. so the Filipinos were at fault and they yep. Asia, and then Chinese were at fault and then Koreans were at fault anybody that was Asian yep. was somehow at fault for the pandemic yep and we saw that in Canada too so we had a had a you know big conversation for that and just the grief of our own family and you know just even fear for us, uh, you know, absolutely walking down the street because you didn't know if somebody was going to push you in front of the bus Yep. because they were mad that you were the one who started the entire global pandemic, you alone. Right. You know, so yeah, it was, it was, it was scary. It was hard. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. So obviously that makes sense. The content you're like, okay, I'm a writer. I've, I can rally these women together. How did you get all the women together? This one is fascinating because they are very diverse. Yeah. All across. like <laughs> Intentionally so. Intentionally so. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is amazing. How did you sort of gather all of them and said, let's all write a, you know, a, a chapter or a mm-hmm. part of this yeah. and collectively let's do this? So there's 29 of us total. Um, mm-hmm. About half of them I had personal relationship with beforehand. Nice. And then I had several other women of color that I had a personal relationship with that I invited but for whatever reason their schedules didn't allow um, they had other commitments and so I asked them for referrals and so it was important to me to have about equal rep I, I wanted this to be a representation of you know when I think about revelations that you know um, worshiping around the throne of the lamb will be people from every language and tribe and nation and people group and I wanted that to be a physical, physical rep- physically represented in this project. And so for me, I, w- I was very clear. Like I wanted about equal representation. I wanted equity in the project. And so um, if I asked a friend, say, for example, that was Asian American um, and she wasn't available, which was the case for several of them, um, then then I, I replaced her or asked her for a referral for another mm-hmm. Asian American woman. I didn't replace her with a Latina woman or a Hispanic woman or a black woman. I asked her for a replacement for another Asian American woman. Okay. And so a lot of those, uh, um, about half of them were referred to me on the project by people that I knew or trust or, or trusted. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so over the course of the writing for two years, uh, more than half of those women, of course, have now become friends. And so I was very... Um, 
intentional in that way about how I wanted equity to be visible on the project by racial and ethnic representation, but okay. also because I wanted to have the diversity of where these women were living geographically and serving, like how they led in different spaces. That was important to me to have that diversity as well. And then finally, I wanted the diversity of people who had a platform and those who didn't. That was important in, yeah. for, for me as well. And so about half of them have some kind of platform, you know, they are known for writing or speaking or leading an organization or pastoring or whatever. And some of them are less known, um, but I knew they were theologically sound. They had the pulse of their community, like they will be the trusted women that their communities will call to well, um, and that they they love the Lord, they love the book, and then they would take the project seriously and their stories and who they represented was worthy of sharing in a project like this. Yeah, amazing. Latasha Morrison, who did your foreword, yeah. says, this book is an anthem of the power of indigenous, black, Asian, and Latina women, and indeed women of color across the world. It is a gift to each of us and a reminder, I love this, that we are still here standing, mm -hmm. fighting for justice, speaking the truth, and purposing to hope for such a time as this. Our strength and resolve have been initiated by God, inspired by our ancestors, mm -hmm. and supported by the women who continue to influence us. Amen. Like, it's like, yes. Amen. Yes. I mean, again, I, I could go on. I kind of underlined and, and wrote in there, <laughs> though, in, in the book. But it was like, we're standing here and we're fighting for justice. And so when I read that, as I started reading the book, I'm like, okay, that kind of sets the tone yep. of, of what this is. Let's go through this, Natasha, a little bit because mm -hmm. it's broken into different. So just so, so the listener can understand this. And I'm going to read yeah. some parts. I just want you to. But it's broken into um, different sections mm -hmm. and um and and what i love is that you went through basically all of psalm 37 and broke yep. it down and it yep. had people write yep. through it and then featuring our ancestors yes. in these stories of women i had never heard of yes so inspiring for me because i'm like <gasps> and then i would google them further because yeah. i wanted to read more and yes. i was like that is and 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 the one that really stood out i wanted to say this before we go into but was Pandita Ramabai uh -huh. on page 136. She was uh, the young girl that was married at five years old and then widowed at 12, mm -hmm. realized basically, I mean, this is the plight, you know, her life, and then formed these places for, you know, widowed women who would, would be marginalized and at the fringe of society um, in India. I think it's India. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I read it and I was like, what? Yeah. Wow. And it was like every time you featured a story of a woman, mm -hmm. it was like, wow, yeah. this is this is. And like, I love it. The ancestors, the women that mm -hmm. have gone before us, paving the way for women like you and me to be doing what we do. Come on. Like it yes. actually, listen, the women you got were in, incredibly inspiring. But the stories of the women yes. of our ancestors before were yes. just like inspired me. Like I was just reading and soaking it up like it's powerful to remember I, I remember mm. to pray for their continuing influence in the world today because some of the, the work continues mm -hmm. it, it, those were powerful stories thank you for adding those in yeah that was like, that was extremely important so you have to understand <laughs> that um I was writing two books at the same time. So people say, what were you doing in the pandemic? I was writing. I was writing like a mad person. I mean, I was writing, I was writing two books and I was doing doctorate work. Okay. Um, and so I'm writing this book at the same time. I'm writing my Exodus Bible study, which is called a journey to freedom. Okay. Mm. And so I'm, I'm thinking about, and as I'm writing my Exodus work, God introducing himself to Moses at the burning bush as, you know, when they said, who should I say uh, sent you or, or what if they asked me who, who you are? And, you know, he says, I am. But then he also says, you know, I'm the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, mm. Isaac and Jacob. And of course, God would not have introduced himself that way to Moses if Moses didn't know who Abraham, Isaac and Jacob was. So, you know, you kind of start there. But then also, when you realize when God starts this whole exodus and the Israelites are heading out of Egypt, 
what God starts to do is that he starts to not just give them law. That's one thing that God does. But God gives them spiritual rhythms of celebration. So you get all these festivals that are happening. And when these festivals are happening, what God says is you are to call the men, the women, the children, and the foreigners living among you. And then you take these opportunities to pause, to take Sabbath, to prepare, to feast. And you tell stories. And part of the stories that you tell these people, so they don't forget, because remembering is a spiritual discipline, is who God is. I, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Right? You cannot give that credit to anyone or anything else. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. And you do this multiple times of the year at these festivals. And you do it year after year after year after year so the people don't forget. And so a part of how the story, the story of faith, um, the faith itself, who God is, is passed down to our generations, to children, is us just gathering, feasting, fellowshipping, and telling them about who God is. And I think we failed our children in that regard um, mm -hmm. in, in the West. We, we just haven't done that well. And so I, I think that's part of it. Um, what, what was motivating me to include this special element in the book? The other part was... You know, thinking about the words of Pharaoh, these things to you, you mentioned earlier as in our Bible reading, we just kind of read and gloss over. Mm -hmm. But when Moses first goes to Pharaoh, he doesn't go to ask Pharaoh to let us go indefinitely, which we know it's going to get to that point. But the first request is, let us go worship God in the wilderness for three days and we're going to take out we're going to take everyone and we're going to take our animals because we don't know what the sacrifice that God is going to require. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and he asks, and Pharaoh denies and denies and denies. But one of the things that Pharaoh says is, the reason you're asking them to go and the reason they are crying out is because they're lazy. So he crafts this narrative about the Israelites being lazy. But what we know from the text is that, one, they have already built two cities for him. So that's not what lazy people do. Mm -hmm. And two, that they have been violently oppressed. So even when he starts taking their supplies away, he still has the same quotas for them. And they don't meet it, but they try really hard to, right? And so, mm -hmm. they're, so they're not lazy. But that helped me understand the power that Pharaoh has. Not that I didn't know before, but these are things I'm kind of leaning into in my, mm -hmm. in my writing. The power that Pharaoh has to name and the power that Pharaoh has to craft narrative about the other. And so I just think it's extremely important. And I wrote about this in my memoir, Sojourner's Truth, for people of color to have, to be empowered, emboldened, to tell the truth about themselves and their people mm -hmm. and to yeah. write their own stories and to tell the stories about our ancestors. Because we think about history. There's this whole conversation in the United States right now about the education that our children are getting in schools, the books that are being banned, the books that are are, are not being allowed, and this whole you know thing mm -hmm. about critical race theory. And mm -hmm. the bottom line is, to some degree... We just don't want to teach the truth about our history because part of it is embarrassing. Mm -hmm. It is embarrassing. And yet the Bible tells us that the truth indeed sets us free. And so my premise as I ask these women to share uh, and write about Psalm 37, it's like, I want you to tell us not just about your personal testimony. There is power and importance in that. The Bible says in Revelation, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the power of testimony. So mm -hmm. there's power in that single testimony. But I said, but tell me how God has been faithful to your people. Because that's a narrative. And that's the mm -hmm. truth. And tell me about a woman from your people group that embodies the passage, that embodies these verses that you are writing about. Because I wanted their names and their stories to be remembered. And I wanted this to be something that we could pass on. Again, teach your daughters how to wear that we can pass on to our children. And mm -hmm. our children can know the names of these women and they would do exactly what you did. I'm going to go and find out more about her. I'm going to go find out more about mm -hmm. her work. I'm going to continue and walk in the vein of, of in the spirit of, of this woman who is embodied, um, whatever the pastor says, blamelessness or righteousness mm -hmm. or feeding the hungry or whatever. Um, that to me, that that is the work of the ministry that this is not just a book to me. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I could tell, like, this is, I mean, here's what, here, I'll be honest, here's what happened. So I'm reading these stories. I'm reading, you know, the laments, and then I get to these stories of women, and mm-hmm. there was a part of me, Natasha, honestly, where I felt, how come I didn't know about them? Exactly. There was a part of me that was like, exactly. how come I didn't know about them? Yes. Which then internally got me, like, mm-hmm. upset. It should. Like, it actually, I was like, what, what's this feeling me that I'm really upset that I didn't yeah. know about comfort women yeah. in the Japanese army and this yeah. woman stands up and then opens up the floodgates of truth and like I yeah. and I remember sitting there reading through this and I, I said to my husband I was telling him some stories I'm like I had no idea yeah. so I was upset but then I was like wait a second and what you're saying is resonating and it's what I thought because I'm like I need to continue some of these stories I actually wrote down who is the woman from the Philippines mm-hmm. that needs to be reminded and written about about some of the work that some yes. of these Filipino women have done that I don't even know that mm-hmm. I think I need to take some time to research mm-hmm. and bring to light. You know, what I mean? you know yes. so what what yes. this has done is just been brought up these things as a woman and you know, for me going I'm about championing other women, but reminding people of women in the past who've done amazing work that we don't know or, or yeah. have forgotten. Yeah. Credible. Yeah. Oh loved it. Love it, love it, love it. So good. So good. Uh, let me talk through some of the the pieces that came to me. So I'm looking at this, and at first you can go, whoa, Voices of Lament, Reflections. There's a lot. Where do I even begin? And for me, I, I read right through it. Mm-hmm. I think for some people it might be like, slow, you know, slow, yeah. easy. For me, I'm more like, I want to read through this, and I didn't stop, and I just kept going. But I believe that it might be even better to do it slow, stop mm-hmm. at one, mm-hmm. think about it, underline, go back, mm-hmm. reflection, prayer, journal, mm-hmm. read the story. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. really, this is this could be almost like a devotional type thing yeah. to really walk it through, which was really powerful. Uh, but some of the things that were so fascinating to me, and as a woman, in page 77, there was this, this thought about anger. Because, I'm, I'm, you know, you're talking about wailing and lament. And then I read through Psalm 37 again, which I hadn't done again, thank you, Natasha, in a long time, Mm -hmm. revisiting scriptures and reading it through the lens of the book of of what in the spirit and heart and mission of the book was. And so saw that verse in Psalm 37 differently. But in page 77, it's about anger. And for a lot of women I know, anger is not an emotion that we were ever encouraged to show, sure. demonstrate, speak about within church as a woman, culturally. Yeah. Yes. And on page 77, it says, I believe that the full intention of the psalmist is to name our anger, to invite community into our healing and desires for justice, and then to leave anger behind as we lean into the promises of God, who is the God of comfort and giver of peace that surpasses all our understanding. And I was like, because I was, you know, it's one of those things is that, oh my goodness, can we be angry? Yes. <laughs> Are we allowed to show anger? Because, yeah. you know, a lot of us, and I know a lot that has come up in many of my conversations on my show mm-hmm. about culturally that emotion. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is later on in life, it, it actually has caused some major issues, deep mm-hmm. issues, because we have not shown. Mm-hmm anger felt anger because we were not allowed to or told mm-hmm. not to yeah yeah and no. so even speak this out it's like permission you're giving us yeah. permission yeah no my my friend kathy kong wrote that piece um she's mm-hmm. korean american and then um one of our other korean american sisters uh tasha young wrote a, wrote a poem for the for the book and um the title is anger i will not tame her um and mm-hmm. so uh, to your point there are cultural elements for that as well and I think that, first of all, we're fully human people, which means that we have the ability to experience the breath of our emotions. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of times in church, we are not encouraged to be honest about that. Um, yes. You know, when I was writing my, my memoir, Sojourner's Truth, I, I wrote a whole chapter about anger. And, and even because I, I said, you know, there's an anger that's righteous as well. And Mm -hmm. one thing I write about with Moses is like Moses has a righteous anger. When you look at his full story, he's angry about a lot of things and they're all the right things. He's angry when Israel is sinning against God. He's angry when Pharaoh disobeys God and and hardens his heart. He's angry when, you know, the the, um, shepherds are denying the women from getting the water at the well when he uh, flees Egypt. So he's angry about all the right things. Um, The problem is, though, 
that because he doesn't deal with that righteous anger um the anger ends up bubbling up into violence as we saw he's angry with the egyptian beating Mm -hmm. um the israelite which is a righteous anger he should be angry about that but it bubbles up into violence and so you know even one of the questions i was wrestling with in in the chapter like the whole chapter i wrote on anger is not just what do we do with our anger which i think is an important question but also um i heard a a a uh, advocates, um, activists speak at Duke University um, Seminary one time, and he said, "Like, do we even have a right to be violent?" And I don't endorse violent um, violence at all. And I look at the Bible; there's a lot of violence, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and and I think even when I look at, you know, we talk about Advent, but even as I look at, you know, the cross, that that's a violent act. I- it's a yes. very violent act, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, that was reserved for criminals. And so I think, you know, we need to wrestle with um, when there's a righteous anger, what is the appropriate and godly response to yeah. that anger? How do we hold space for people to be honest and share and get help even to process and work through that anger together? And I think that's what the te- partially what the testimony of saints does. I think that's partially what the safety of community does that you can yeah. be somewhere that's psychologically safe and loving and affirming and full of faith and, and be honest that, you know, and yell and be honest and wail and cry about the um the injustice that you see happening and not feel like you've sinned because the bible says be angry and sin not so there is a way to be angry and not have that anger lead us into sin yeah no that's good and i think just to have the discussion of anger so yes these are for our listeners and viewers to say you know you can read through this a little bit more because again reading this slowly your book to think through this Mm -hmm. like where am i angry righteous anger um and find you know in in the safety and places for discussion and whatnot but i think it was just good you know the emotion to identify because a lot of times there has been like i said culturally and for women if you're angry then we're we're branded something even Mm -hmm. though it could be Mm -hmm. righteous anger of injustice Mm -hmm. that we see and then people make assumptions about us yes Yes. It's not being assertive or being like, you know, we're seeing this for what it is. It's like mm-hmm. you're you, you, you're, you're the problem. You've yeah. got a problem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Amazing. So good. Okay. Next one I love. <laughs> Page 130 and 131. There is nothing more gut-wrenching than the wicked prospering on this earth. In our world, corruption is rampant. Evil such as racism and systemic injustice thrive. And the gap between... Dominant and subdominant cultures continues to widen, and the poor and the marginalized and the hurting are helplessly trapped by schemes and false promises. And then it goes on. In fact, the wicked are thriving at the expense of the righteous. Mm-hmm. And the response of God's people is to question God's sovereignty. It's even control. It's not fair. That one's fascinating to me mm-hmm. because that comes up a lot. Like, and through the book, it's like, you know, we're lamenting, but it's like, you know, God, you say the wicked will fall, they'll be wiped out, but. From my from my perspective, mm-hmm. looks like they went in. They went in. Prospering, successful, money. Listen. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, so unfair. Mm. We're working hard for mm. you know what you are about, God, and for your people. And then all the other people seem to be yeah. successful. And that's something. I mean, that's I know, but I'm I'm. It is the lament of my life. <laughs> It is the it is the lament. Let me tell you, I um, I I was reading some of Henry Nowen the other day. Yes, Love yes. him, yes. and um, he has a book on prayer. Um, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna share this prayer with you because I'm gonna tell you how because of how convicting it was. So um, it says the prayer of conviction, and which is also I'm saying this is my prayer of conviction and confession. Okay, and so it's from his book called With Open Hands. Henry Nowen. Mm-hmm. It says, you feel bitter because people weren't grateful for something you gave them. You still feel jealous of those who are better paid than you are. You still want to take revenge on someone who didn't respect you. You are still disappointed that you've received no letter, still angry because someone didn't didn't see you walk by. You live mm-hmm. through it. You live along with it as though it doesn't really bother you until the moment when you want to pray and then everything returns. 
the bitterness, the hate, the jealousy, the disappointment, the desire for revenge. But these feelings are not just there. You clutch them in your hands as if they are treasures that you don't want to let go. You sit wallowing in all the old sourness as if you couldn't do without them, as if in giving them up, you will lose your very self. And I'm like, if this priest ain't just, ain't just, you know, I was like, Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. Because what, what he's speaking about, right? The bitterness that can set in because what started as a righteous anger, God, and, and mm-hmm. a righteous lament and wail, God, the wicked, it seems as if the wicked are prospering, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's what it looks like. However, you would measure success by the world's standards, which we know is not God's standards. But what we see with our eyes, that's what it looks like. And so it starts out as a righteous lament. Um, but then there's a resentment. Mm-hmm of God we out here doing what you told us to do right yeah. we're trying to be faithful and obedient and and, and 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 for real God why has to be this hard can can we <laughs> yeah. get a can we get a little bit so the the burden and the weight doesn't feel so hard and so that resentment kicks in and can turn to bitterness because you mm-hmm. see them getting so much for doing so little and not even honoring the Lord and you're out here trying to honor the Lord and do mm-hmm. things with integrity and, and and respond to injustice with righteousness and love and truth and care in community. And, and, and you're like, yes. God, can, can yes. I get can I get a little help? And so and so that's the thing. And so these are hard. Mm-hmm. These are hard issues for us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we do need to confess. And, and I think it's also a matter of us about trust you know um Mm -hmm. i think it's a matter of you know perspective this is one thing going back to your question about advent you know why i think it's important for us to have a kingdom theology right that um things are not always as they seem you know and there are psalms that are written you know in our good book that tells us this is what you see happening with the wicked i'm wicked i know what it looks like but let me tell you what their end is going to be and here's the thing we don't want that end yeah and so part of our hope and part of our um, joy and part of the peace um, is that we know what the end of the story is going to be. Mm-hmm. And we are not going to have the same end. Yes. And I think we have to remember that in the time where we're sitting going, mm-hmm. you won't find and notice me. Mm. I, you know what I mean? As I'm listening to the prayer, you mm-hmm. didn't, you didn't, and then you didn't, and then I didn't, and I didn't get. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good, and I'm so glad that that was with in the, in the book. As I'm, I'm underlining, and then I'm exclamation pointing on the margin, and then I'm underlining a bit more. <clears throat> so, that's a good one. That was really good. I love that you added that in, and then the right after was Pandita Ramabai, who I mm-hmm. said mm-hmm. a woman who stared wickedness in the face. Yes. And that's it's it's un, that's when I that story is unbelievable, and her forming the Sharada Sadhan uh, Home of Learning in Bombay, amazing. Yeah. All right, next one, page one eighty one, the peacemaker. Since we are talking about peace, this one was really powerful when I read this as I was going through. And again, I'm going back mm-hmm. through this again because I was kind of reading it, and I was like sort of reading it almost like a novel, and then I was like. Okay, I think I need to pause on some of these. But The Peacemaker yeah. with Carolina. Mm-hmm. 181. The promise of freedom doesn't lie. This is so interesting. On paved, I love it. On paved streets. Mm-hmm. Freedom comes from our relationship with our maker. A dance we choreograph together in each motion, a rhythm toward peace. The making is an undoing with a throat full of heart and ancestors. When the making is a stone you fling at a giant, the empire falls. When the making is a song you pen, in darkness the sky opens. Toward the peacemaker's lot, a community in making, we till new life, loosen the hardened earth within ourselves. Hips crested, made ready for the water. Oh, I get chills. Mm-hmm. Hands made ready for the revival. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I, you know what I love about Carolina um, and, and yeah, how she good. wrote here. So, I mean, I had a whole vision for the project of how it would... Um, 
be presented and how it could be received well. And for me, mm-hmm. part of that was in the art that we incorporated in it. And so, yeah. and, and, and I include the poetry in the art. Um, but you also know, cause you have the, what we have illustrations in it. And so I think yeah. about the metaphors that she shares here about, um, dancing, about, um, uh, singing songs. So music about, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, one of your th- topics, uh, doing things in community, like what we, what we make yeah. or create in community, um, the, the hips crested to me, that's like even I giving, 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 giving birth, right? Like, like, yeah. like even, mm-hmm. you know, just all the ways we create, and mm-hmm. so I think that um, a lot of times we think about the pursuit of justice. We're talking about or we're thinking about reactive work, like how do we respond to something that is wrong in the world? And what I love about art and what I love about um, what she's sharing here, uh, these metaphors she's giving us. In the beginning, God reveals himself to us first as creator. First as creator. Um, God creates something out of nothing and he says it's good and indeed by the very end he says it's very good and so there's something redemptive I think about creating and I think there's something redemptive about mm-hmm. and beautiful mm-hmm. about art um, and and I think when we have particularly people of color and people from marginalized groups that are operating in their creating creative calling meaning is one of the ways that we uh, bear God's image the ability to create and to create beauty I think is important too and so when they're operating in that I think it's something very very redemptive about that and I think it's also very much tied to our pursuit of justice and uh, you know I like to quote Harry Belafonte um, when he says when the movement is strong the music is strong and and I see that like mm-hmm. art um, you know it could be Graffiti. It can be mules mm-hmm. on buildings. It can be songs. It can be drums. It can be dancing. It could be great, you know, creating food in the kitchen, like culinary arts. Like there's all kinds of ways yeah. when I think when we are embracing art and the beauty of art and the beauty of creation that we are actually bearing God's image and it brings light and it does make this advocacy and this pursuit of justice work easier for those of us that might not have those particular gifts. Mm-hmm. I love that because again, I think we have been, there has been a sense too, when we're like proclaiming for justice, it's the marches and yeah. do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and that way, yeah, one way. But I think when I read that, it was like, no, you know, writing pen in the darkness and yeah. what you're saying, music and, and what we have in our hand, what we can offer ourselves is a way toward peace. Yeah. Right. Like it's, I don't, it's, I think sometimes we we thought it's one way. And that's the only way to get right. noticed or our point across right. because that's what people are doing, right? right? That's what getting in the news. But right. what I'm hearing is I love it. It's it's a meal mm-hmm. with a person to, it is. to have conversation, to listen on how maybe we can come to some understanding mm-hmm. on how we see each other and how mm-hmm. we see the world one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It could be a song that mm-hmm. someone's listening to on the subway and goes, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, for the first time I... yeah." I just heard that truth and I never thought of it that way Yeah, because they wouldn't go to a church, but they would listen to a song Yes, on Spotify. You know, I'm just yeah. saying, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, and I think that was a powerful reminder when I read that. I was like, oh, because she goes, it's not just walking the paved streets Mm-mm. in freedom. It's Mm-mm. these different ways mm-hmm. on how we are, are peacemakers. It was powerful. And again, reminder for me, it's like, okay, there are many ways and many ways I can, can, can encourage my friends, uh, in what they do and have and are so many artistic that can, that can work toward peace in that space. And let me say this too, folks, because this is important for me. Um, when Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, think about my introduction in the book. Um, basically I'm calling the women of color to lead. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I've been leading all of my life, like since I was, it's my, it is my spiritual gift. Right. And most of the time in, when I'm in public spaces, um, in, outside a Christian world, um, mm-hmm. most of that has been among male-dominated environments. And so getting into the church and doing more public ministry, I find that I'm often having to convince women women that, that give them permission to lead and or they don't see the important work that they're doing as leadership. And I, I'm beating the drum over and over to say to these women, 
to fix their mouths and their hearts and their minds to know that the work, the good work they are doing to advance the kingdom of God, if that's raising children, if that's providing meals, if that's being a caretaker, if that's being a pastor, if that's being a teacher, if that's being a mentor or coach, a community leader, you know, mm-hmm. an elder in your church. Uh, and, and I'm saying that like a mother of the church or like a woman who's wise or older in years, you know, a good aunt. All these various ways <laughs> um, we are leading. We are leading. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to... I'm tired. I'm a little tired of trying to convince women of that, but I think it's important. And 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 we we really need to say that, and we need to be pointing women to the women in the Bible that have led in various yes. ways, because there is no one way to lead. Yes, some of us have more pu- public or prophetic giftedness and ministries, but there that doesn't mean that the other ways that we lead are any less important or valuable. When we think about how Paul talks about the body working together, each part doing its work. And so mm-hmm. when I think about movements, right, like movements don't do not happen, not not successful ones or sustainable ones. I think about the civil rights movement apart from women frying chicken and wrapping it in aluminum foil and putting it, you know, giving it to folks apart from women, you know, printing out flyers in the basement of churches, like apart from domestic women, you know, saying, I'm not going to get on the bus. I'm going to walk like those movements don't happen without women, apart from women giving to the church, apart from women ushering and serving communion and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and leading children's ministry and leading the prayer, you know, ministry, like, Churches don't work in the world without the leadership of women. Yes. Okay? Yes. And so I want women to understand that. I want them to walk in their God-given, God-ordained image-bearedness to exercise their dominion on this earth as the leaders that God Mm -hmm. has created them to be. And that's part of the you know what we we get to see um embodied through the product that is this book but it's also as a source of inspiration and encouragement for them to whatever it is that you're called to however it is if you if you just like being hospitable and cooking and that's your thing be the best at that you know serve your feast set your table and mm-hmm. lead your community in important conversations that will make a difference Right. That's what I want women to to, to know about themselves and and how God sees them. Yes. And that needs to be said. And and I love that. I mean, the man, the hard years for me being a young woman, Filipino, with strong communication and leadership, my whole life has been, you know, it's been hard and only through, yes, there were many women that mentored me and helped me, but there were also men absolutely who risked jobs who said, well, yeah. I want you on platform. And they were hauled in front of their board yeah. to say, why, why did you allow her on platform? It's like, because she had a message mm-hmm. in the scripture mm-hmm. from her perspective that was, I'd never heard of. And I wanted her to share it on platform at our church. One of our, one of the pastors who let me do that got hauled in front of the board and almost lost his job. And he goes, it's greater. He goes, I don't care because that was what I believe Melinda, you know, it was, it was given from God, her thought about this passage, how she shared it. And I remember when I got up, Natasha, five men got walked, got straight up and walked right out of the the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And there was this weird feeling in the sanctuary. And then, and I was terrified, but I felt this is what I needed to do. I needed to share this message. Mm-hmm. Hagar. Um, Haggai. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, five girls from university who were visiting came up to me and said, this is the first time we've ever seen a woman yeah. speak in a church out of the Bible, yes. sharing her thought on it. And yeah. they actually said to me, these are university girls. Mm-hmm. Is that possible? Is it okay? I said, it is. They were like, we have never heard a sermon like that. It was one of the most powerful sermons. And it wasn't about me. They just said, we've never heard that perspective. And so it's been that. Even just in leading in in the nonprofits I've been in, Mm -hmm. 
in churches, in and then being a divorced woman, my husband left me um, 15 years ago, and add that on, mm-hmm. like, and it was like, and I remember clearly God just saying, "And I'm with you." Amen. So, let's just go do it. And I said, "But he's like, go do it." And I was like, and every time I would, fear and trembling, there were moments, and yet every time afterwards, Natasha, it was like. Oh, I know why I did this. It was like God moved in amazing ways. People were like, I had no idea. Women were empowered to do. It was so I've always gone with fear and grace and trembling and power and all the things mixed up being being with God in all that I've done. And, and, and here I am. And it's, it's a story where you just kind of go, even for me personally, it's incredible. But I, when you go with God and you've got really good community, you can and it hasn't been easy definitely mm-hmm. not easy things have been said about me and but i just continue to go ahead forge ahead yeah. you know so okay one last thing this is the part with with the book it's the chapter on why women wail um <laughs> by patricia mm-hmm. and i read this part in 219 page 19 mm-hmm Leader, we will will for being called victimizers when we speak up about all that has victimized us and people his faithful love endures forever. And the leader says we will wail for having to laugh when nothing was funny and cry when nobody cared and explain when the obvious was clear and people his faithful love endures forever. And we will wail to a God who promises promises to see us, hear us, walk with us, and go before us. People his faithful love endures forever. And the leader, we wail knowing God listens. Even if others won't, his faithful love endures forever. Thus in him, we wail. So Mm -hmm. nobody can ever say Mm -hmm. we didn't trust God to turn it around. Mm -hmm. Oh. Yes. I I love, I love that woman. Um, She, she's one of our elders. And so one of the other ways we have diversity on the project is there's generational diversity, which is very intentional. And so she's one of the mothers. I call her Queen Mother. <laughs> um, um, I, you know, she's one of the mothers on the project. And she's been a, a dear, a wise sage, a, a writing mentor oh. for me for many years. I love her dearly. Yeah. And um, and she's a, she's a child of the civil rights movement. You know, I, I just had a conversation with her yesterday. Wow. So you think about Emmett Till. She was a child, you know, when Emmett Till was murdered. She was a child when the... Four girls got mm-hmm. bombed at the Birmingham jail. I mean, at the Birmingham church in Alabama, um, and so th- this is her. So when we talk about these things, these are not stories to her. This is her life. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, you know, this is this is a woman who couldn't swim in a pool because she was black. You know, as a child growing up in a community pool, and so um, a- again, going to the narrative and, and how Pharaoh has power to craft narratives. You know, they're they're lazy. And so she's saying, she's making this public proclamation that that is one of, I mean, it's a powerful liturgy, but, but that, mm-hmm. that last statement to me is, is the, I, and I've read it multiple times over the past few months in the, <laughs> at these events. Um, mm-hmm. We will, so that no one could ever say the lie would be they're, they're not, they're not really Christians, right? They, they don't believe God. Um, why don't you just trust God? We will, the truth is. The reason we raise our voice, the raise, the reason we raise our voices in lament, the reason we wail is so that no one could ever say that we didn't trust God to turn it around. Oh, wow. That's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Natasha. Thank you for this, this collaboration, this gift. Mm. Everybody should have this on their shelf. Amen. You know, let me end with this. Back to Latasha Morrison. Mm -hmm. This book is for anyone who is broken, longing for justice and trusting that Jesus is a rock in a weary land. Yeah, he is. Jesus is a rock in our weary land. These insights in this book invite you to feast, fellowship, listen, and learn at the table of the marginalized. And when you read the powerful words of these women of faith and witness how God leads and uplifts the blameless, no matter how the systemic structures seek to weigh us down, our cries of lament are also cries of strength and resolve as we continue on the journey of justice. For you to pursue justice, you must first have eyes to see, ears to hear, 
and a heart to understand injustice. To the women of color, I love us and let us rejoice that voices of lament. Tasha, this book, your book, shows our love for us. I'm like emotional. It, powerful, powerful, powerful. So grateful for it. Last thoughts, Natasha, your hope for this or did did getting this book together, how did it change you? You learned through it. Just some final thoughts as we go. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm humbled by it. Um, mm. I'm thankful for the women that have entrusted me with their stories. I'm thankful for the God who is faithful. Um, I do trust them to turn it around. I do trust them to turn it around. And I think um, our eyes have not seen yet or our ears heard, have not heard yet. Um, it has not entered yet into our heart what Jesus has prepared for us. And that's the hope I want to keep before us. Good. I hope you do another one. Something else. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. But, um, uh, so, uh, so I've been told. <laughs> you're like, let me just revel in this one, please, and then we'll move on to the next. But thank you, Natasha. I, I, and I loved this conversation. It was really beautiful to be with you um, together, just sharing through yeah. it. So thank you. Thank you for the great work that you're doing, your voice, Thanks, and keep keep encouraging women, you know, to lead. I think it's the same mm -hmm. thing. I, I speak at a lot of women's conferences and mm -hmm. uh, I think helping women understand they, they can lead in any place that they are, but there's others where I'm like, you need to have courage to step up. You know, yeah. for some of these women, like it's time, yeah. let's go, you know? Yeah. So keep, keep speaking that and thank you. Merry Christmas to you. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard for me to say have a great 2023 because I said that last year. Yeah, Let's have a great 2022 yeah. and what a year it's been. Um, so <laughs> anyway, I do. I do pray. Uh, bless you in, in the new year. Um, and as God continues to show you your sort of direction and where to go. And thank you so much for your voice. It was a really beautiful conversation about peace and hope and lament and encouragement. So thank you. God bless you, sis. And I appreciate it. Thank you. And to you, our listeners and viewers, as an encouragement for you today, as I always end each show, know that you are seen, you are heard, and you're deeply loved by God. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to See, Here Love, the podcast with Melinda Estabrooks. Stay connected with our daily posts and stories on Instagram or Facebook at See, Here Love, or join our newsletter at www.seeherelove.com.